You're going to always ask the question. The only question you know the answer to is the one you don't ask, because that's always a no every single time. And I'm that same person, Christine. I, I reach out to people all the time, and, and I have the same thoughts. You know, They probably won't answer me, and if they do, it'll be someone that works for them or something like that, and they're probably going to tell me no, but what do I have to lose? It's just sitting there asking a the question. Are you ready to decide it's your turn to live your most purposeful, profitable, passionate life? I'm Christina LeCure, former professional golfer turned confidence and success coach. I truly believe every one of us was put here for a God-given purpose, and it is our responsibility to live that fully. For well over a decade now, I've been turning my life as well as countless others around from feeling unworthy, incompetent, and without a purpose to living a life I cannot wait to wake up for even on days when shit hits the fan. And it all started with a decision. Yeah, you heard that right. I said God and shit in the same sentence. So clearly this won't be your typical podcast, but what I can assure you is that each week myself and my guests are going to enlighten you, fire you up, and having you walk away with stories and strategies to not only boost your confidence, but give you hope that at any moment in time, you have the power to decide it's your turn. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Decide It's Your Turn podcast. I'm unbelievably grateful for my guest today. Damon West joins me. And if you don't know who he is, I promise you after today's episode, you will never forget him. His story of transformation is unbelievable. He is one of the number one motivational speakers in the world currently. He's been on every podcast you can possibly imagine, spoken on the world's biggest stages. And his story of transformation and his book, Be a Coffee Bean, is a bestseller. You guys will never forget today's episode. Please, please, please share it with a friend. Tag both Damon and I and let us know what you think. Y'all, today we have such a gift. I'm so, so grateful that this man, I reached out immediately. You guys, I tell you all the time, you have to take fast action, right? And I was listening to this podcast. I was about 15 minutes in and I was like, oh my gosh, who is this human? And I'm just going to reach out. Chances are he's going to say, first of all, he's probably not going to answer my DM, but he did immediately. And he said, check back in with me in a few months after I'm done all of my college speaking engagements. And I reached back out and he said, yes. And today I am so unbelievably grateful to have Damon West on this show. Thank you so much for being here, Damon. Christine, thank you for the opportunity. And look, thanks for taking the, the, the chance, you know, going out there and asking the question. I tell people all the time, you're going to always ask the question. The only question you know the answer to is the one you don't ask, because that's always a no every single time. And I'm that same person, Christine. I, I reach out to people all the time, and, and I have the same thoughts. You know, They probably won't answer me, and if they do, it'll be someone that works for them or something like that, and they're probably going to tell me no, but what do I have to lose? It's just sitting there asking a the question. So thanks for doing it. Oh my gosh, I appreciate it. And you know what? I expected the exact same thing from you. I expected your team. I, I think I made it a very short and sweet message. I was like, I absolutely loved you on Ed. Is there an email that I can reach out to, to schedule a podcast? And you're like, it's actually me. And it's me that's going to answer the message. But why don't you reach back out in about four months? And I definitely scribbled that in the, my book. And, you know, I've done that many times and I'm sure you have as well. And, you know, you don't even have a blue check mark, which I was definitely surprised by. Why don't you have a blue check mark, Damon? I've tried to get it, man. They've just never, they've never given it to me. And it's, it's crazy. It, it, I don't know. I can't, I can't understand the, the method behind how you get it. I mean, I, and I get a copycat account once a week coming at me on, on Instagram, but yeah, I've never been able to get it. I don't know. It's, it's very, been very elusive for me. So it is well, what it is. <laughs> well, it's so crazy. So before we continue to go on, in case anyone doesn't know who you are, I would love for you to kind of share 
why you're here today and why you're making such a beautiful impact in this world. And um, obviously talk a little bit about the coffee bean and how you got here today. Yeah. So like, one of the best places to start the story is, is not, it, it's not right in the middle, but closer to the middle. It's 14 years ago. 14 years ago, it was July 30th, 2008. And I was in this little rundown apartment in Dallas where I was living. And I was on this little ratty old couch and I, and I had my meth dealer sitting next to me. Because 14 years ago, I was a full-blown meth addict, the head of an organized crime ring. And, and I'm, I'm like, I'm the top criminal in this criminal pyramid. I'm like the shot caller in this whole group. And it's just a bunch of other meth addicts that we break into houses all over Dallas because we're feeding our meth addiction. And I tell people all the time that, that addiction affects everybody in America, whether you're the addict, the family member of an addict, the victim of an addict. I created a lot of victims. Or you're just a taxpayer. You're paying into this overburdened criminal justice system that has no idea how to handle the disease of addiction. Addiction affects everybody. So that day, I'm sitting on the couch with my dope dealer. His name is Tex. And I'm passing this glass pipe back and forth to Tex. And I'm telling Tex, man, the end is near. The cops are closing in. Ten days before this, Christina, they had just picked up my partner in crime in a stolen car. A guy named Dustin. And uh, they got my partner in crime in custody. I know it's just a matter of time before they get to me because he's going to talk because everybody talks. And, man, as we're having this conversation, the window blows out on my right. This flashbang grenade is tumbling across my living room floor, blows up in my face. And when I came to and I can see and hear again, there's cops everywhere. They're storming in. Puts, this cop puts his boot on my chest, the barrel of a machine gun in my eye socket, and his fingers on the trigger. And he's screaming, don't move, don't move. And another cop comes in and he screams out, we got him. We got the uptown burglar. And, you know, Christina, that's a name I'll live with for the rest of my life. But my life story doesn't really, like, start out that way. You know, you wouldn't have thought that the background I came from, I would have ended up on the floor of a dirty old apartment in 2008 with a SWAT team taking me down and arresting me. I came from a great family. I grew up in this little town called Port Arthur, Texas. I had every advantage, every privilege, every opportunity in life and great education. I was a great athlete. Uh, played Division One college quarterback at the University of North Texas. Got injured in college. Got into hardcore drugs uh, to deal with life because I couldn't deal with life on life's terms. Cocaine, ecstasy pills. But I was a very functional addict. Graduated from college. Worked in the United States Congress. I worked for a guy running for president. Then I worked on Wall Street in Dallas uh, for one of the biggest Wall Street banks in the world, UBS, United Bank of Switzerland. And it was at that job in 2004 at UBS that I was introduced to meth for the first time by another broker. And the introduction of meth into my system well, it was like touching a live wire. And I was instantly hooked. And it took me about 18 months to give everything away because that's what addicts do. Addicts give things away. Addicts give up their goals to meet their behaviors. And normal people, focused people, driven people, they'll give up behaviors to meet their goals. But as an addict, I gave everything away. And it took me about 18 months to go from working on Wall Street to living in the streets of Dallas. And pretty soon I became an active criminal. First, it was smaller crimes like shoplifting and breaking into cars, breaking into storage units. Then my crime started escalating to more serious crimes like the crime of burglary. And, and I say more serious crimes because when I broke into people's homes, Christina, I didn't just steal their property. I stole their sense of security. And I, I don't know if they'll ever get that back. But after three years of committing property crimes against the people of Dallas, the Dallas SWAT team on July 30th, 2008, put an end to the uptown burglaries. And that was the day they arrested me. Or as I tell audiences everywhere I go, that was really the day I was rescued, not arrested. That SWAT team saved me from a life. I mean, I, I don't even know if I'd be alive today 
but I didn't feel rescued at the time. And, you know, 10 months in Dallas County Jail, my bond was set at $1.4 million in 2008. So I never got to get out. Uh, my trial was in May of 2009, 10 months after my arrest. And a jury sentenced me to life in prison on May 18th, 2009. So for your listeners out there, that's where the story starts. I got sentenced to life in prison on May 18th, 2009. And Today in 2022, we're having a conversation. So really the story is going to be, how did it happen, right? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. There's a couple of things that you said there. So number one, I know a lot of people deal with addiction. Um, specifically, I've never really talked about it on this podcast, but I have a family member who's pretty much in the exact same situation that you were, to believe it or not. Great athlete, came from a good family, did all the things. We never grew up in a Christian household, but um yeah, all of the things. And it's amazing what happens, like a wrong turn here or there. And it definitely does affect the family. I don't know. You've never talked about it on any of the podcasts that I've listened to, but I don't know if your family, did your family go to Al-Anon? Did your My parents? mom did. My yeah. mom did. Yeah. Uh, so my it, mom, my mom did. My dad did. My dad, my dad doesn't really, my dad, my dad's asked me like when he first came to visit me in prison, he's like, you know, my parents are still married too. I mean, they've, yeah. they've been married so all, mine. All, 54 years. Um, but my dad asked me the first time he came to visit me in prison, he's like, Damon, why didn't you just come home? You know, when the drugs got so bad, why didn't you just move back home with us? We, we tried to get you to come home. And I'm like, well, that's a great idea. I can't believe it. I didn't think of that. My mom understands addiction a lot better. My mom's a nurse. So she's, uh, she understands the disease concept. And so my mother sought, uh, sought out Al-Anon once, uh, once I got out and I started, I got into AA. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I went for a few years myself. It definitely saved my mom for sure. But um, by going to Al-Anon for sure. You know, what's interesting too. You said that was the day that you were saved when that machine gun was in, in your face. One yeah. of my clients, I've recorded a podcast with her and I get choked up. She was drinking heavily and she was a mom of two young girls and she slipped and broke her leg. And she said, God broke her leg that day to slow oh, wow. her down. And now she's been, um, she's been sober now for about four years. So it's just, it's amazing that, you know, in moments where it just feels like the world's coming to an end and your life is over, it's actually where everything has just begun. A question for you, I have before we go on to the coffee bean story, which is why everyone is here. Um, do you think people can get to this point when they're at their rock bottom without having a rock bottom moment? For, for instance, like, God breaking her leg or you having a machine gun in your face. How does someone get this before they have the rock bottom moment? Yeah, you know, Nick Saban told me one time when I was talk talking to his team, he said, good players learn from their own mistakes and great players learn from the mistakes of other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that applies everywhere in life. But I think that you can have you can have this big change in your life. It has to be a spiritual awakening, though. I, I, I believe that. What happened in my life was a spiritual awakening. And I'm not talking about a religion, because that's a whole different thing than spirituality. The guy in prison told me one time that the difference between religion and spirituality. He said religion is, uh, is for people who have never been to hell and don't want to go. And spirituality is for people who have been to hell and don't want to go back. So the spiritual awakening that has to happen is when you have to surrender some things that you've have held on to in life, like this idea of control. You know, we think we have control. We, I say we, I, I know when I was living in my addiction or this mindset of an addict that I thought I had control over a lot of other things I don't control. And, and in fact, there's only four things I found out that I can control. The same four things everybody else controls in their lives, 
what you think, what you say, what you feel. And what I mean with you feel, like what do you do with your feelings and what you do? So what you think, what you say, what you feel and what you do, when you're willing to surrender the idea that the other stuff you have no control over and that's going to be handled by a higher power, then you could focus on those four things where your life can really, where you can influence some change. Now those are the things you can control and that's the things you can change. And if you focus your time, your most valuable resource on those four things, then your whole life, it's a paradigm shift because now you're like, you're in this lane where change is happening in your life because you're affecting that change because you don't waste your time and efforts in things you have no control of. So yeah, I mean, I believe it's a spiritual awakening though. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. The, everything I teach and everything I believe, I believe I've changed my life and everyone else's like with decision, faith and action. And those three things, I just, I'm so dead set that those are the three things that you need in order to like live a, a beautiful life and impact others. So go back to the story. So when you're about to go to jail, you've just been sentenced to this life sentence and your mom tells you something right before you go to prison. You can tell us, obviously tell everyone like what she said to you. But like my question to you really is, how did you show up to that decision? How did you show up to that? Like what inside of you just like made you hold true to the fact that, you know, you weren't going to join a gang and get tattoos and all of the things like how did you do that? Because so many people, I think that that's the biggest problem is like so many people just go through the coffee bean situation, go through the story. But like, how did you actually do that? Because so many people can't actually hold on to that decision and, and decide it no matter what. Yeah, and it, it, you're, you're, you're spot on. Most people look for the easiest way out of a situation or the the idea that if I just sit back and wait, it'll it'll go away. But it requires getting really uncomfortable in your life because growth takes place outside your comfort zone. And after I was sentenced to life in prison, I mean, immediately after my mom and my dad were given a few minutes to visit with me uh, and I was behind the glass, they were on the, the other side of the glass. But my mom tells me that, you know, I can't join any prison gangs, can't join these white hate groups, these Aryan Brotherhood gangs, and I can't get any tattoos. And she's telling me this because she's a nurse. She doesn't want me getting hepatitis C or HIV through dirty needles. But she's telling me no gangs, no tattoos. She said, you come back as the man we raised or don't come back at all. And she's like, do you understand this debt you're going to pay? And I was like, yeah, I got it. But I really don't know how I'm going to, to, I don't know how I'm going to deliver on this thing, Christina, because I mean, I, I, I don't know. I've never been to prison. I don't know anybody. I'm a white middle-class guy in America. I don't know anybody's been to prison before. and. I don't know how I'm gonna deliver on it because I'm asking all the guys that I'm in county jail with while I'm awaiting the prison transport bus, how am I gonna survive? What am I gonna do? And every guy I talked to, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, they said the same thing. You have to get into a gang. You won't survive without a gang. They said the gang would actually be my family now, that my, own, my family on the outside doesn't even exist in this world because I'm going to the life sentence building where everybody's got life. It's the toughest part of prison. Um, but I run into this guy named Mr. Jackson, this older black man in Dallas County Jail, and he shares with me the ideas of what's going to get me through prison. And he shares with me that, you know, the strongest man in prison always walks alone. What he means by that is it's going to, to walk the path alone, independent from all these guys, because I'm going to go through hell. I got to fight the white gangs off and I got to fight the black gangs emotionally. But the strongest man in prison always walks alone means that only someone strong can stand on their own and go against the norms of what everybody else is doing. This is what you need to, 
to hold on to in life too. That when you see a lot of people doing something because everybody else is doing it, they might they might not be the strongest people. They're just people that follow other people. But he's telling me that I don't have to win all my fights. I just have to fight all my fights, which is a very valuable lesson inside that place because he's telling me don't go into it with the expectation. You have to win everything. And, and none of us should. I'm not just talking about prison. Anything in life, you don't have to expect to win everything. No one is going to be that good to win everything. You're going to lose sometimes, and it is okay to lose because we learn a lot about ourselves through loss. Um, but he shares with me a very important lesson, and he tells me to imagine prison as a pot of boiling water. And he tells me in the pot of boiling water, we have three choices of how we want to respond to life because life is like a pot of boiling water. He says you can choose to be like the carrot, which turns soft in a pot of boiling water. The carrot goes in hard, though, but the water breaks it down, makes it soft. And there's some people that become saddened and soft and weak. And it happens to people. People become, I'm the carrot sometimes. Everybody's going to be the carrot because being sad is a natural human emotion. Then he tells me that the egg in the same pot of boiling water, the soft liquid inside of that egg would become hardened in the pot of boiling water. The water would make the egg hard. And he said, your heart becomes hardened. And when your heart becomes hardened, you're incapable of giving or receiving love. And he said, you have to be careful in the place you're going into, because if you become hardened, you become institutionalized and you won't come back as someone your parents recognize. And the reality is, Christina, we're all going to be exits sometimes, too, because being an egg is being mad. That's a natural human emotion, just like being sad is a human emotion. And it's OK to be the egg. And it's OK to be the carrot. We just can't get stuck there. And he tells me the third choice we all have in life is to be like that coffee bean. Because he said a coffee bean changes the pot of boiling water into a pot of coffee. It's the only thing that changed water. It's the change agent. And that was his last words to me. The last words he ever said to me in the summer of 2009 in Dallas County Jail, be a coffee bean. And that's, this was this message. I mean, when I heard it, I was like, wow, I can wrap my brain around this. Anybody that's five or 95 can understand these three different things in a pot of boiling water. And I thought to myself, if the power's inside me, because that's what he's telling me, the power's inside you, just like the power's inside the coffee bean. And if the power was really in me, and I could harness that and keep that in me, and I wouldn't allow the outside forces to change me, that I would change the world from the inside out, that I wouldn't just survive prison. I could thrive inside of a prison. And I, and I got my chance to find out prison was the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. It was the most dangerous thing I've ever been through in my life. And it was severe beatings for the first two months. And I lost most of my fights, Christine. I tell people all the time, I probably got three dozen fights the entire time I was there. And I lost 75% of those fights. But I won because Jackson said, you don't have to win your fights. You just, you just have to fight your fights. And so that's, that's what I kept doing. I just kept fighting and losing and fighting and losing. Every now and then I'd win. But after two months, the violence was finally over and the threat to my physical state was gone. And I got a chance to work on myself and become that coffee bean inside that pot of boiling water called prison. Mm. How did you find the hope to keep going when you were sentenced to life? And obviously, you know, we're speaking here today, so obviously you didn't serve that life sentence. But how did you keep going and showing up as that coffee bean, knowing that perhaps you would actually never leave that prison? Or did you have the hope that you were going to leave? Yeah, and, and I need to back up and answer your, your previous question fully because you'd asked me about what was it. So I wanted to come home. I wanted to be able to come home one day, and, and I can dovetail it into your, your next question. Yeah. And I knew that with the, the line my mom drew in the sand, that if I wanted to come home, I had to become 
a better version of me. And I had, I had to become someone I've never been before because in my life, my entire life has been built. Everything in my life has been around me, a very self-centered life. Addiction is a very selfish thing. And living as an addict most of my life, I've been a very selfish person. So that means I'm not good at relationships. I'm not good at all these other things. I knew that when I was sitting in prison, that something had to change and that something was me. I just didn't know how to change. You know? And when I got into prison, I got into a program recovery, a 12-step program recovery called AA. And when I got into AA, I started living in the solution instead of living in the problem. And I, I got these tools for how to live life, these 12 steps we work and this personal inventory that we work. And the idea that if you, if you wrong someone, you make, it, you make an apology, you make an amends. But, you know, one of the things that, that I learned in AA is that um, as a human being, we want two things in life. We want to belong and we want to be loved. And those are the, like the things that drive human behavior. We just want to belong. We want to be loved. And sometimes there's things outside of our control. Um, you can't force someone to love you. And you can't force someone, for example, an, an apology, for example. You can't force someone to accept your apology. And this was something that was tough because we, don't, we want to make amends for the things we do. But I learned in, in AA that we have to keep our side of the street clean. And this is how. I made the change in life because I started keeping my side of the street clean. One of the most important jobs in society is a sanitation worker, someone you would call the garbage man. Because if garbage men all over the world tomorrow just quit doing their jobs, if everybody says, hey, we're not, we're not picking up trash anymore, we're going on a strike, well, it wouldn't take long for society to break down because no one wants to live in a world where trash is all over the street. No one wants to live in a house where garbage blocks the view of your home. So if garbage men are the or some of the most important sanitation workers, some of the most important workers in society, then you are your own garbage man in your own life. You are your own sanitation worker. You have to take out your own spiritual, emotional, and mental trash all the time. And that's one of the things I learned in, in the program recovery is to keep my side of the street clean. I can't worry about what other people do on their side of the street. I just have to keep my side of the street clean. And that's what I started focusing on. Just, just take care of what Damon is and who Damon is. Become the best version of me while I'm in there. But that's going to also carry when I get out. But if I can just spend every day becoming the best version of me, looking for ways to serve other people, how do I become more useful instead of useless? Then that was going to be how I became the coffee bean too. So the two things, the coffee bean message and getting into a program recovery, they work perfectly together because being a coffee bean and being in recovery are a lot of the same thing. Mm, that's so good yeah it's so true because like every single human like I I love like the one thing I mean obviously your whole story is incredible but your one word when you were up for parole and you, the officer um asked you like it, it could you sum up what you want to do like with the rest of your life um to get out of prison and you said useful I just thought that was like so incredible like how did you even come up with that word was it the recovery process because like, yeah. that's everything like i just want to show up and be like a servant like useful like someone to remember me you know i i decided not to have children in my life but i always say like i just i, I may not leave my dna but i really truly just want to leave something on this planet like you don't have to leave dna in, in order to leave an impact in this world and 
your useful comment was just like so on point with exactly what I believe. Like you have to show up and be an impact to someone. I I truly believe it's our God-given purpose. Like every single human has a God-given purpose and it's your responsibility to live that fully. So was it the AA program? Was it being in, in, like, how did you just know that you just wanted to use the rest of your life to be useful? Yeah, no, you're, you're spot on. And by the way, I made the same decision in my life. So, I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, I, I can have an impact and leave a footprint in this world in and you many are. different, in, in, yeah, in many different ways. So, and so, but yeah, in AA, the first, you know, the 12 steps, first of all, should be worked by every human being on the planet by the time they're in like the first grade, because this gives us the tools for how to live a good life. The first three steps are really surrendering um, to a higher power. And, and look, one of the cool things about AA is that they let, they let you pick your own higher power. So I'm a Christian. So my higher power is Christ. And but not everybody is a Christian that's an addict. You know, there, there's people that are they believe in different faiths or they don't they don't have belief at all, but they have to figure out what their higher power is. And this works in the sense that people that are in addiction, you know, they they need something more than just a religion. So for example, all right, so I'm a Christian. They're just let, let everybody know that it's that's what I choose. You can choose whatever you want in life. But in my faith, all right, so if I go up to a priest or a pastor and I say, hey, look, man, I'm having these thoughts about drinking or doing drugs and I can't shake them. They're just you know, the priest or the rabbi or, or the pastor is going to tell me, well, go pray about it because that's what they're trained to do. They're trained to tell you to go pray and prayer works. I'm, I'm a big advocate of prayer. But addicts, true addicts like me, we need something more than that. We need other people that have been through what we've been through and can walk us through what that decision looks like, because that's one of the tools in a program recovery. Addicts have a three-part thought process. We have this, this thought, say it's to drink or do drugs. Then we obsess over that thought. And then we put it in, it becomes physical. Thought, obsession, physical. And what a program recovery allows us to do is to intercept that thought, when it becomes an obsession, we get it out of our heads by telling another human being about it. And I learned that in AA, being useful is the best thing that we can be. Because if we can just show up every day and be useful, that's really what everybody wants to be anyway. Now, now everybody wants to feel like they, they have a purpose and they matter. And, and when we look for ways to be useful, we realize that we don't have to be out there like I am speaking on, around the globe. You don't have to do that to be useful. All you just got to do is wake up every day and look around you, look for ways to serve other people around you, because there's so many people coming in need. And when you wake up with that mindset that like, look, I'm just looking to serve. And if I see someone in need, I'm going to help them. That gives you purpose in life. And when you have a purpose, now you feel like you're part of something bigger and you, you want to keep putting into that and growing that. And that's, you know, the word that I gave the lady from parole, one of the things that, that whenever I had this interview with parole, and I talk about in my book, The Change Agent. Uh, she saw my sign-in sheets for AA. She's like, well, you've got a lot of sign-in sheets. You must go to a lot of AA meetings. And uh, she was really sharp. She said, what's the eighth step? If you go to so many meetings, what's the eighth step? And I'm like, oh, this lady knows her stuff. So, you know, I told her what the eighth step was. And um, But, you know, I think that if people would, would, addicts especially, would give a program recovery a shot, I think that every, every addict has to have a program recovery. But I think it goes further than that, Christina. I think most human beings need a program recovery of some kind because 
everybody goes through a lot of stuff in life. And if you don't work through that baggage in your life, if you don't find a way to take out your own trash, then you're going to, you're going to break down too. Just like society, you break down with a lot of trash. You break down too. And, and you see it all the time. I tell people that, you know, in my life now, I went back to school and got a master's in criminal justice. I've been out of prison for seven years. I got a master's in criminal justice. I'm a professor at the University of Houston downtown teaching a class called Prisons in America. The only professor on the planet that teaches a prisons class that lived in a prison. But I tell my classes too, and I tell this to people when I go speaking, that there's a lot of different ways to be in a prison. In fact, the, the hardest prison to do time in is the prison in your mind. And I meet more people out here in the free world that are locked up by their thoughts, by their things, and by their prejudices than I ever did when I was serving time in a real prison. More people are in prison by their thoughts and by their things and prejudices than by steel bars and barbed wire and concrete combined. And the prison in your mind is the hardest prison to leave, too. Physical prison is much easier to live than a mental, spiritual, and emotional prison. But right now in America, Christina, so many people are in prison. They, they're in prison by the stuff that comes to us through our devices, these phones, these television sets. The, you know, they call them smart TVs and smartphones. But they really make us kind of dumber because we just allow something in there to control us. This negative entertainment that comes to us. And it's really, it's, it's really kind of scary because it's this voluntary incarceration that's going on around this country and probably around the world. I 100% believe it. It's the reason why I show up every single day. I mean, my whole purpose and mission is to help people become more confident to live their God-given purpose, like whether that's a business, whether that's the life, I don't even really care what it is, but like everyone, it's the mindset behind it. Mindset is 90% everything. I mean, you, you know this. Y'all, I am unbelievably grateful at how many of you are resonating with this podcast. I also know that many of you are asking yourself, Gosh, what difference in my life and my business would it make to have a coach walking beside me day in and day out to make sure I show up deciding it is my turn? You guys, this is exactly what I do in my coaching practice, and I would love to jump on a free discovery call with you to see if you and I would be the perfect fit to make sure you show up every single day confidently in your purpose, making a profit and living a life that you love. Check the show notes to book that call or the link in my Instagram bio. How do you show up still to this as the highest version of yourself? How are you still showing up every single day when you are literally now one of the number one most sought after motivational speakers in the world? You've written numerous books, you have a movie coming out, you have this charity. You know, how do you keep showing up to this version of yourself when you are a pretty damn big deal? Oh, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that, but you know what? No, I do? you really are. So how do you keep <laughs> doing that? Like, I, I would love to know, because I think this is like, you're talking about the mindset behind things, right? People like, oh, it's easy for him. It's easy for him. He's, you know, he's this famous guy now, like, but besides obviously the, you know, the glowing star that you were in prison, you don't, definitely don't want to go back there and you're on parole for the rest of your life. But besides that, like, how do you keep showing up to this highest version of yourself? How do you keep making this decision every single day? So a couple of things. One, when I get up in the morning, I have this prayer that I say, it's the same prayer that I started praying when I got into AA in prison years ago. I mean, my life has certainly changed a lot. The circumstances in my life have changed dramatically from when I was living in a prison cell, but my intentions are still the same. I'm still the same person that was inside that prison cell that grew all that time. And it's, it's just a two-part prayer. And you, whatever faith you are, you can plug it into your religion too, or your faith. 
And that's just get up in the morning and say, hey, God, put in front of me what you need me to do today for you. And let me recognize that when I see it, because I don't want to miss that, whatever that thing is. Amen. That's it. I don't have a list of things I think I want or need that I pray for. When I pray, I pray for ways to be useful. And that has me showing up every day with the right mindset of being a servant, of being humble. Humility is being right-sized. And when we're right-sized, we can be useful to other people again. Another thing I do in life too, Christina, is, is I apply perspective. We all have this, this stuff called perspective, but sometimes we get so caught up in our, in our own problems that we forget about this wonderful perspe perspective we have. And the perspective of what a bad day looks like. You know, In my life, I get up every day and, and, and if I'm having a bad day, I just have to remind myself, man, when I woke up this morning, my feet didn't hit the cold concrete floor of a prison cell. And if my feet don't hit the prison cell floor, well, then I'm winning. I'm having a good day, you know, because, man, that's a really bad day. My worst day out here is better than my best day in prison. So I've got this perspective I can apply in my life. But you have it, too. And everybody listening to this, you have perspective, too, on what a bad day looks like. Bad days. Someone dies that you love. You know, you'll never see that person again. That's a tough day. A, a, a marriage dissolves, falls apart. A relationship falls apart. These things happen in the course of a human life. That's okay. That's a bad day. A job. You get fired from a job. You lose a job. You lose something you really wanted in life. Those are bad days. Most of the things that happen to us in life are not one of those days. Those days don't come that often. But when they do come, hold on to the feeling that you had when you were there and ask yourself, is today one of those days? Because chances are good it's not. It's like sitting in traffic. Some days the traffic bothers you. You get irate. You get so mad. Other days, the traffic doesn't bother you at all. Is it the traffic or is it you? It's always you. One of the things in the program recovery that I use all the time, and this is, I mean, telling you, everybody should have to work these 12 steps. We have this saying in AA that whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. When I am disturbed, there's something wrong with me means that whatever I have a problem with in life, whatever's bothering me in life, I play a role in there somewhere. And that's my job to find my role in my problem. Because if I can discover what my role is in my problem, that's the part that I can change. That's the part that I can control. That's the one part that I can fix and stop having a problem with whatever that is. I'll give you an example. Resentments are the things that destroy our lives. They hold us back in life. It's bottled up poison. It's drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And these resentments hold us back in life because when we resent, we, we don't allow forgiveness to come into our lives. I had this huge resentment against the judge in my case. And if you read The Change Agent or see the series when it comes out one day, Judge Mike Snipes. You know, I used to hang out with this guy and party on a boat back in the late 90s. Uh, I used to go to the bars and see him at the bars and we had the same friend group. Then I show up in this courtroom one day. Now, at this point later in life, I've become a drug addict and a criminal, and he's become a criminal district court judge, and I end up in his courtroom. And I really expected Judge Snipes to give me some better treatment than what I got. I had this expectation on him. This is another thing, setting expectations on people. Bad thing. And so when I got sentenced to life in prison and Snipes handled me pretty rough, I had a resentment against him. I was like, man, I was really pissed at this guy. And in AA, I learned that every time we have a problem with something in life. It affects one or all three of the core human instincts in life. Everything that happens in our lives is because it touches one of these three things. 
our need for social, our need for security, and our need for sex. And what I mean by that is social, you know, being a part of something bigger than you, being a part of society, being accepted by, other, by, by everybody around you, your, your peers, your need for security, financial security, family security, these things that you want in life that secure you. Your ex. I don't mean that in, in a bad way. I'm talking about, but we're human beings. We we want to mate up. We want to, you know, become a part of someone. You want to be part, become part of a family. So everything in life affects one or all three of these human behavior, uh, these human instincts. So I, in AA, I learned that to work a personal inventory, you plug your resentment into this chart. These three basic instincts, and so I plugged in Judge Snipes. So. Judge Snipes, get in a life sentence in his courtroom. Does it affect my need for social? Yeah, you bet it does. It's going to be hard to fit back in society. I'm, an, I'm a felon now, you know? Felons don't exactly just to get to enjoy society like normal people do. Does it affect my need for security? Yeah, you bet this does, man. How am I going to get a job now? Most There's a lot of jobs that are cut off for me because now I'm a convicted felon. So you bet. Does it affect my need for sex? You bet. I'm in prison, man. This is like totally wiping that out, first of all, while I'm in here. Second of all, when I get out, who's going to want me with the baggage that I have in life? Now I've just gotten myself limited by the amount, by who would even want to be, who wants to be with an ex-con, right? So this resentment against Judge Snipes, it affected all three of my core human. That's why the resentment was so strong. But the last column on the personal inventory is what role do I play? So now, what role do I play? Let's see. I became a drug addict and I started committing crimes. I started breaking into people's houses. I started stealing from other people. I violated the social contract that says I get to enjoy society as long as I follow the rules of society. And I landed in Judge Snipes' courtroom after all of these things that I did. So wait a second. Why am I resentful against Judge Snipes? I put myself in this courtroom. If I didn't do those things, he can't be the judge on my case. And so that day was my first example of learning how to wipe someone off of a resentment list and start living a more serene life. I had this philosophy in life, Christina. I have no enemies. It doesn't mean I'm not someone else's enemy, but you can't be my enemy. I'm not going to allow you to be my enemy because that drains me of positivity. And if I can allow, if I can work through life and have no enemies, then I can truly live life. Wow, that's so freaking cool. Um, I know we're uh, getting tight on time here. I would like to say, though, I think it's really cool that you've now um, overcome all three of those things. You're now happily married, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I got How married. Uh, yeah, I got married May 18th, 2019, which is 10 years exactly to the day I got sentenced to life in prison. So, yeah. No way. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That's so cool. How did y'all meet? Uh, we met through a friend. She, uh, Kendall's a nurse practitioner. We met through an, a friend of mine that's also a nurse practitioner. And then uh, we started dating. Kendall has a daughter named Clara, who is my stepdaughter, and this uh, Clara's eleven now. And so we had this past weekend was the winter recital that she has, and then, you know it's a weekend that the dads and stepdads get together backstage. We build the sets, we build the props, and stuff like that. So it was really cool to be a part of Clara's life. Clara's thing is dance. She loves dance, and it's it's great to be a part of something like that with her. Yeah, I think it's really incredible that you're now obviously impacting millions of people around the world. You're obviously on the right track and uh, you're and all three of those things, you hit all three of them, you figure it out how to to cure all three of them. And now you're happily married and all the things. But one thing that I think that is so um, 
such a big part of being a human being and like loving the experience of life is giving back to others. And obviously you know, you know, better than anyone else. Um, a lot of people are in situations that are not the best situation ever. And you are in prison with a lot of people and you come out of prison to write this amazing book, be a coffee bean, the coffee bean story with John Gordon. But now you started a foundation because you saw a need that needed to be met. And now you have this massive audience in order to serve others. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the foundation? And then obviously we'll link everything in the show notes, but I just thought it was super incredible that you've figured out this need about, um, well, you tell us black, black, black teachers. I think it's just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And so Christina, the, the, the idea, and this is like very, very recent we've had like we had this program going in the state of louisiana but yeah the, the governor pulled out the governor <gasps> pulled out so yeah oh my gosh got, i'm so sorry i didn't yeah. know that no it's a very recent i mean it, it happened this year and so i've got to find another state to do it in but my thought was this and this is what i'm, I'm going to find a state to do it in you 100 percent have to i thought it was the greatest idea ever that's the reason yeah. why i wanted to talk about it yeah no it's it's but it's still going i mean i'm, I'm gonna find a state there's, there's 100 why in the hell out of all of the amazing people that you know all of the influential people in the world and knowing that this is like the greatest idea on the planet why in the hell did louisiana pull out this is horrible yeah no it's it's crazy um but you know like whenever i was in prison i saw i was shocked by the amount of incarcerated black men that i ran into in because look, I know the numbers in America, black men make up about six and a half percent of our population in this country. But you get into a prison, they make up almost 50% of the population of the prison system. And so I had to try to understand what's going on. I was a very sober observer inside of a prison. And when I got out of prison, I thought to myself, if I could ever do something to impact that population, because I got to know these guys in there and hear their stories. And, you know, whenever I was in prison, I I, I learned about these different variables of the negative interaction that people can have with the criminal justice system. And one of them is race. And so I thought to myself, hey, if we could find a way to, to fix that problem, how would we do that? So my idea was this. If I could go into a state, and I was going to do it in Louisiana, and find incarcerated black men that have the right kind of felonies to still be a teacher. And this is like every state in America allows certain felons to be teachers. Damon West can be a teacher in pretty much any state because I don't have felonies that harmed anybody physically. Mine, mine were property crimes around drugs. So we find those kind of felons that are black men inside of our prison system. And we say, hey, listen, we've got a foundation, the Be A Coffee Bean Foundation. What we're going to do for you, the last four years you're in prison, we're going we're gonna to put you through school. We're going to get you an elementary education bachelor's degree from a state-run university in your state then when you graduate, you're going to parole out of prison. I'll meet you at the gate and I'll have all these tools that you're going to need to be successful in life because you need the right tools. I'll have a used car for you. I'll have a wardrobe for you to teach in. I'll have a place for you to live for two years. I'll have your first two years student teacher salary and your health care covered. What we're going to do then is we're going to take you and put you into an elementary school, the most underperforming elementary school in that state where the crime rates are the highest and the population is majority black. That looks like these men. This is where a lot of the future criminal population is gonna come from. These schools and these neighborhoods, take these guys out of a prison, give them the tools they need, put them inside of an elementary school where they can have an impact in life. We, we call it Mr. Coffee Bean. 
Now they're the coffee bean in the pot of warm water that's public education, which has been failing so many people in America. Because who better, Christina, to pull one of these kids aside in the hallway where the behavior starts at that young age of elementary school, pull them aside and say, hey, son, let me tell you about the choice you make in life. Let me, let me tell you my story. And, and a lot of these kids may not have a father inside their home. That man would be like the role model, the male role model that these boys need, these, these children need. And we were, we were going in Louisiana. We were picking our guys, but we ran into some resistance in the, the suburbs and the rural parts of Louisiana. And it was mostly white women. It was crazy when they found out there, there was, this guy from Texas wanted to put black criminals in their schools. It was like setting dumpster fires at all these school board meetings. And, and I would try at first to try to explain it to him. Like, hey, listen, lady, your kids will never be taught by these men. Your kids live in the suburbs, man. They're, your kids will never be taught by these guys. These guys are going to go into East Baton Rouge. They're going to go into the Ninth Ward of New Orleans. Your kids will never be taught by these guys, but they may be saved because maybe these guys can get through to the kid that doesn't kill your kid one day when your kid goes into the city. But it was too much, too much pressure on the governor of Louisiana. He pulled the plug. Um, John Bell Edwards, not much of a fighter. So wow. anyway, I just got to find another state. You know what? And and I truly do believe that that is one of I, I being a white woman, <laughs> I can tell you, I understand the reason why you're doing that. And I would have wholeheartedly um, and I do a lot of things that a lot of people don't like, but and I speak my mind. So I would have been one of the ones speaking my mind for that. But I yeah. will say that, you know, I think God has a better, bigger, better plan for that. And just knowing the impact that you're making in this world and knowing the reason behind it and your why behind it of wanting to help a population that needs you so badly is, you know what, that's just, that's just a, a roadblock and you're just going to hop on over that. Yeah. And the other thing, I mean, there's another, there's another initiative we have with the foundation that it's, it's, it's given us a chance to focus more on that right now. And it's called coffee bean cares. Cares is an acronym for cultivating activities and relationships through extracurricular scholarships. When I was in prison, I'd see the same thing over and over again. These guys in there would get these letters from home or these phone calls, these visits. And, you know, it's the same story. My son or my daughter is going down the wrong road and I'm not there to positively impact their lives. They're following in my footsteps. They're going to be in prison one day. Or my son or my daughter wants to do uh, an activity, but we can't afford it because I'm in prison and they're going to probably follow my road down here too because they have nothing to belong to. So what I do with Coffee Bean Cares, and I've raised a lot of money for this, I need more kids. We find children anywhere in America, any race, whatever, that has an incarcerated parent. And that kid, we will pay for their scholarship of any extracurricular activity they want to do. Say it's a little girl that wants to take dance, or a little boy that wants to take dance, or it's a, it's a karate class, or it's a, it's a select baseball, select softball, select whatever. Or you want to, take a, you want to learn an instrument, you want to learn how to play the guitar. We'll take care of all the expenses that go with that for up to $2,500 a year. And all we want is to, to get the parent on the outside, the guardian on the outside to agree that they'll get them to the practices, to the lessons, whatever. We pay for it all. We, we remove the financial burden that comes in that because I think that all kids need to have the opportunity to do things in life. And you can't pick your parents. And just because your, your mom and your dad is incarcerated, you shouldn't have to sit out while the other kids get to sit in, you know? So- that's what we do. We connect a lot of children with scholarships. We don't we don't advertise the kids' faces. We don't want 
if you know a kid out there, anybody listening, you know a kid that has an incarcerated parent somewhere in America, reach out to us at the beacoffeebeanfoundation.org and give us the information for the parents. And we'll get in touch with the parent and see if they want a scholarship for, for their kid. I love that. You guys, be a coffeebeanfoundation.org. Be sure to check that out. You know, I raised a lot of money, millions of dollars, actually. I'm very proud to say over the years doing corporate and charity golf events. And I did one for the TAPS Foundation, which is Program Assistance, uh, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. Exactly the same thing in some regards. Those These ones are in prison. Their parents were killed in the line of duty, and they do the exact same thing. They pay for their their education, they pay for their extracurricular activities and all the things. So if you ever put on a golf tournament, holler at me. I'm happy to come out. I used cool. to be much better than I am, but I'm still better than most. So <laughs> I'd That's love cool. to be able to help you in any way. I'm just so grateful for your time. Thank you for so much for sharing everything. You guys, please be sure to go get Damon's books. Uh, he did one with John Gordon, Be the Coffee Bean, um, be a coffeebeanfoundation.org. Be sure to check that out and follow Damon over on Instagram and yell at Instagram for allowing him not to have the blue check mark cat. That is insane. <laughs> that is insane. Yeah. The number one motivational speaker in the country right now does not have a blue check mark. What is wrong with this yeah. world? It's uh it's it's tough. I don't understand I don't understand it, but Instagram and Twitter at Damon West7. My my website to get in touch and speak is DamonWest.org. And one last thing, Christina. So the last thing that, so Mr. Jackson, I've searched and searched and searched. I was about guy. to say, that was a question. I'm so glad you brought that up. That is literally on my list to ask you because yeah. I don't think I've ever heard you say, is this guy still alive? And have you talked to him ever since you basically took what he told you and created this national phenomenon? <laughs> so last story to end with. So Mr. Jackson, his name's not Mr. Jackson. I gave him the name Mr. Jackson because the only name I knew him got by in county jail was Muhammad. Because these guys, when they convert to Islam, they give up their government name. My government name is Damon West. Cassius Clay, he goes to prison in the 1960s. He comes out He comes out as Muhammad Ali. The only name I know this guy is by is Muhammad. So when I get out of prison, I go to Dallas County Jail looking for my friend Muhammad. Dallas County Jail is like, we need a name. We need a birthday. We can't find a guy named Muhammad. So, and I couldn't find him. But I went around telling this, this coffee bean message, and well, I started out in the South, you know, and I can't, in my mind, I'm like, there's no way I'm walking into rooms, coming out of prison in the South and telling people that Muhammad told me this and Muhammad told me that. So I was like, you know, the message may not hit, the, the message may not hit his people because they might not like the messenger. So I gave him the name Mr. Jackson. Everybody loved Mr. Jackson. But I kept on searching for him, couldn't find him. I got a letter from an inmate in the Texas Department of Criminal Justice this summer. And the letter was interesting because it didn't have a return address. It had one sentence in the whole letter. Find James Lynn Baker and you find Mr. Jackson. So that was my clue. Went to Dallas, got a private investigator. First thing we found was James Lynn Baker's criminal record in and out of prison all of his life, just like he said. Was in there in 2009 in Dallas County Jail at the same time I was in there. He was there for a parole violation, just like he told me he was. Um, so I'm like, man, this is my guy. I know it's my guy, but I can't wait to meet him. Never got to see him again because he died five and a half years ago. May 9th, 2017, dies of a drug overdose. He was a drug addict, just like me. He just never got into a program recovery. So now that I knew who he was, this is the part of it about integrity. Integrity requires that I go do something to honor this man. So I told the private investigator, go find his family. This is where I got interested. In 1972, the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders started their first cheerleading squad with seven women. 
seven women. His little sister, Von Seal Baker, is the first Dallas Cowboy cheerleader ever. The first one to wear the uniform. His other little sister, Vanessa, was a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader too. But the real history maker in their family wasn't the sisters. It was his mother, Bertha Baker, who in 1949 became the first licensed black daycare owner in the city of Dallas. The first daycare license to a black resident went to their mother, who opened up a daycare out of their home. And in fact, the home he grew up in, where the daycare was, is a city landmark now. It's a protected structure in the city of Dallas. And I'm like, this is crazy. That This is my guy, you know? So I reach out to the sisters. He's got three living sisters, Visha, Von Seal, and Vanessa Baker. And I reach out and I told them the story. I was like, hey, I got to tell you the story about the time I ran into your brother in the summer of 2009 in Dallas County Jail. And this is what happened. This is what he told me. And so I asked him, I said, hey, what high school did y'all go to? And um, they said Dallas Lincoln. And this confirmed what he told me. He's from a very inner city part of Dallas, very black. Dallas Lincoln is in an area that's very black, very urban, very inner city. So I said, great. So here's what I want to do to honor your brother. I'm going to put $10,000 a year into a trust for a scholarship in his name, the James Lynn Baker II Be a Coffee Bean Scholarship. And I want that scholarship every year to go to a boy or a girl that y'all get to pick. Your family can pick them every year. But I want some child every year from his neighborhood to get a better chance at life through education because these two men had this encounter in Dallas County Jail in the summer of 2009. So we just launched a scholarship. It became active. Kids at Dallas Lincoln High School are applying to get the $10,000 scholarship in May. So it's so good that we get to honor that guy. That is like the best story ever. I am just so, so unbelievably grateful. You guys be a coffeebeanfoundation.org. I know some of you are going to want to throw your money at that organization and also follow Damon and share his story. And I'm just so grateful. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. Enjoyed it. Thank you all so much for joining me on today's episode of the Decide It's Your Turn podcast. If today's episode resonated with you at all, please share it with a friend. Also, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. What is it that you want us to talk about that will help you realize that at any moment and any day, you too can decide it's your turn. I'm Christina LeCure. I'll see you next time.